Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. Hello, folks. John Shinolta here, live in Richmond, Virginia, from the McKen Foundation. Got a wonderful show lined up today. Got two great guests. Uh, we're going to get to them in a minute, but I got Robert from uh, where was it, Long Island, New York, and Sasha from somewhere up in the corner of Connecticut. But before I get to them, I'm proud to announce we have one of our very first sponsors of this show, uh, Lilla's Lawn Care. LLC focuses on helping people create a yard that can be part of their home. Based in Hanover, Virginia, Lilla's Lawn Care LLC will give you that yard that you've always dreamed of. Visit Lilla's Lawn Care on Facebook, see how they can help give you the yard that will make your neighbors green with envy. Contact Lilla's Lawn Care LLC today by calling 804-426-7688. And on a personal note, I know Mr. Lilla personally. He does my yard from time to time. He does a fabulous job, a little hard-headed at times, but a good man. He's a hard worker, fair prices, and he likes to employ recovery people, which we like. So he's a true asset to the community, and I know he'll be an asset to your lawn. So give Adam a call. And now on to our guest. Without further ado, I'm going to start with the ladies first. Sasha, just hold on, John, John. Done. I always start my <laughs> my day with my daughter with a kiss. Can we do that first? Can you oh, kiss? Yeah. Your show, baby. Do the kissing. <laughs> there that you go. Show. Okay. That's all what I need. Sasha, tell us about yourself, man. Take a couple minutes. <laughs> Hi, guys. My name is Sasha. Um, I am 25 years old. I was born and raised in New York. Uh, let's see. Um, so I this month I celebrated two years um, clean and sober from drugs and alcohol. Um, I I went through um, detox and treatment up in Connecticut, and then I stayed around the area and never left um, because I found a really incredible recovery community up here that um, saved my life. Um, I. So I grew up in New York. I've always wanted to be a writer and I've always had um, a lot of interest in psychology, which has made me um, want to help other people, especially going through my own recovery experience. I've kind of begun to discover that I want to help other people with addiction as well. Um, So I'm in the process of going back to school um, for, like counseling and psychiatry and or psychology, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm still figuring out what path I exactly want to take, but I've had a little experience working in recovery and I've, um, I've just found that I, I love it so much. Um, I really, I couldn't explain like just being able to help people every day in my, in my work and then when I get home outside my work too. It's, it's just a wonderful experience and never in a million years did I think that I would get to a point in my life where I could help others and be like really just somebody in my community that's like reliable and accountable and you know all those things um so I let's see I went through high school and briefly in college but I never actually finished college because I was in um you know my addiction when I was in school so a big part of my recovery is going back to school and um, continuing that whatever path is um, ahead for me there, and yeah, I'm not. Well, really that's, a good, that's a good start. Okay, we're gonna <laughs> yeah. we're gonna dive into some stuff here in a minute. Uh, Robert, why don't you just share a little bit about yourself there, real quick? Okay, um, John, I sat in this spot for a reason. If you can see that artwork behind me, I see it. That was done by Sasha 15, 20 years ago and it's near and dear to my heart. And she talked about being an artist. And you know, one of the tragedies of alcohol use disorder and substance use disorder is the ambition that's robbed 
from uh, so many doctors and lawyers and athletes, professional athletes and scientists that could have been that lost that opportunity. And I always knew in my heart that Sasha had that ambition if she could get sober. And she has that ambition as she's restarted her life, she's reignited her life. And, and I just want to say I'm so proud of my daughter. So Good. I'm glad you got that out the way. Thank you. Thank you. you, Robert. All right, you got to talk slow. I can't even understand what the hell he's saying. He's right. you. Do you understand him, Sasha? Perfectly. Yeah. So, so Robert, you're in recovery. So, just a quick 60 second elevator story. What happened to you? I'm in recovery. I, um, um, I've been, I've lived the life of the unspeakable, John, just rehab after rehab, emergency room after emergency room. I hit that bottom that they talk about. And um, through a series of events, mainly with my daughter and, and um, the trauma that it caused me, as Sasha being my only child, um, unbeknownst to me, God's path, I became a parent advocate addressing the opioid epidemic. That is what's important to me. Um, I was just on the phone with Stephen Rabinowitz, who was uh, with Oasis for 20 years. Overdose is now out in Long Island or at 2016 level. So they're flying through the fucking roof. And it's yeah, very frightening. It's a huge addiction spike. It's going to be the worst year ever recorded. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. It's no yeah. joke. And um, I could have gotten that phone call. Um, I know at least 50 parents out here in Long Island that unfortunately uh, got that phone call because of the opioids and the heroin that are laced with that nasty fentanyl that's on the streets right now. And so my feeling, and I think I speak for Sasha, is that we need to go out and be of service. You know, they say service will set you free, John and be of service and carry a message of the severity of what's going on and not to mess around with it. We're going to get to the service piece because Sasha did touch on services. I picked up on that. But let me ask a question to you, Robert. When you were growing up, did you have any idea you'd become an alcoholic? Zero. Did you come from a good family, good background? No, I can't say that. I came from a very loud confrontational background. I lost my father when I was 16 to emphysema. And we didn't have a relationship because he was too sick to have a relationship with me. Uh, I lost my, my mother to a severe stroke, left her in a vegetative state when I was 36. Um, but I did have what they call those isms. I did have that behavior and I did have those feelings of not fitting in and lesser than. And that had man has manifested itself over the years. And I had to really go out and get that professional help to get some of those issues under control. When did you start knowing you had a problem and started getting help? What year was that? 1980, 1990? Uh, that was uh, my first introduction to my 12-step recovery program was October 21st, 1992. And um, I stayed uh, clean and sober for 10 years until those five meetings a week became three, became one, became uncured. And a shot of tequila looked like a great idea. And I lived three years of the unspeakable, and now it's been, as we just discussed, 14 years. So, Sasha, you kind of grew up in recovery, then, is what I'm hearing. I did, actually. I remember being a kid and running around the meetings, but I never actually knew quite what it was. I just knew that this is where I went when I would go meet with my dad, because my parents were divorced. And... I honestly, like, the rooms were always, like, always felt like a pretty safe place to me. Um, and it, it is cool because sometimes I'll go into a meeting and, like, it doesn't happen that often, but there's these, like, rare moments where I'll all of a sudden just get this, like, nostalgia of, like, the New York meetings that I knew. And and just, like, if it depends on kind of the location, like, sometimes if it's, like, a, a dusty old basement, it reminds me of, like, the, the city meetings and, like, the more suburban meetings and... Um, so it, even though it is a little bit of a different recovery community anywhere I go, um, there's times where I do feel a little bit of nostalgia from it. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because my dad never was drunk around me. Um, I, did, I did see a question earlier from uh, Colin, Colin Cash. He said he worries about his 12-year-old son being exposed to recovery. Did you ever have those fears, Robert or, or, or Sasha, now that you're in recovery, do you think young kids should or shouldn't be exposed to recovery? Sasha, you can go first. Um, I think that it can be tricky because being exposed to recovery does mean also being exposed to the realities of addiction. But at the same time, the life of recovery 
is such a beautiful life that like I would want anybody to see it and experience it. And I mean, if I, you know, if, if children could see the way recovery has changed every these people's lives so much, then yeah, of course I'd want them to see it, but it is hard because it's a double-edged sword because that also means. Yeah, what about you, Robert? Did you ever have thoughts about raising Sasha in recovery? And did your ex-wife ever give you, you know, shit about raising her around recovery? Remember something, John, what we grew up with at, at, uh, at uh, 12 is, is what, is what's 20 years old now, it's the equivalent. So we don't need to be living in a bubble with social media. 12 year olds know exactly what drug addiction is. They have access to the information on the internet. They have friends that are drinking and drugging. So they're not ignorant about this stuff. And um, I think when a parent, look, kids are a sponge. They, they, they absorb all of the stress and all of the trauma that's going on in their house. Okay, and when they see a parent that's in recovery, that that allows that child to move on with their life and focus on their life as they should and so to me in recovery it's it's only good that as a parent i'm getting the help for myself that i need i think i'm setting a wonderful example for my child by saying you know what let's separate the illness from the individual i didn't ask to be an alcoholic or a drug addict but like many other things in life you do what you have to do and it's your choice to get the help so I think as a power of example, I help my daughter more than not exposing to recovery because really you have to understand, you know, this is a prolific epidemic. Kids that are seven, eight years old are smoking pot and using drugs. I mean, we're not, you know, let's not live in a bubble here. This is the reality of the society we live in. You know, a, 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 an unknown thing about me for people who don't know me, I was telling Sasha at the beginning when we were in the green room, uh, in two weeks, I celebrate 38 years clean, and, and 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 I'm one of those guys. I mean, I'm a meat maker. I'm a 12 stepper. I've been engaged in recovery since day one. With my daughter, I got a 28 year old daughter, and when she was four days old, in her little bassinet, and I took her to her first meeting, and and she grew up in recovery, so she got to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, consequently. It was kind of funny. I remember when she was around college age, one of her boyfriends dumped her and broke her heart. And she went to a meeting and shared about it. You know, even though she wasn't an, an addict, you know, she still went to a meeting and shared the pain and people knew her and she got she got what she needed. But fast forward, I think she's coming up on a year sober herself. So, you know, we do have a family, you know, divorced family, child grows up happily we're all in recovery right now i see y'all got a lot of fans out there somebody asked a question why do y'all think so many young kids are dying now from from addiction epidemic and, and it just ain't oh poor they're dying from you know coke meth alcohol addiction related stuff so what are y'all thoughts on that sasha you can go first um i think that Honestly, I think a lot of the drugs that are on the street are a lot stronger and a lot of things are laced. And um, I'm, I'm like really fortunate, you know, that, that I got out of it alive because it doesn't happen often. I have had friends who have overdosed, um, but realistically, yeah, I think that I, I think that things are just stronger and more deadly out there. And that contribute, and then like you know the the age of, of when people start using has been getting younger and younger too over the years. I think. Yeah. What, what's your take, Robert? Why do you think all these kids are dying? Sasha said something that uh, I don't know if it was a year ago, Sasha, maybe when you got sober, and you said to me that this is the first time you've ever experienced addicts that are actually afraid of the drugs, and that always stuck with me. Um, the fentanyl on the street is no joke. This is like, you know, there is a gentleman, a physician, a friend of mine that's on now that could talk more about it, but this is basically pharmaceutical grade fentanyl that's on the street. This is powerful, powerful stuff. You cut a little of this into the opioids, into the heroin, um, into the meth, because meth is what they call the fourth wave. That's going to be the next thing. Um, 
and and unfortunately a lot of these young adults don't wake up the other thing unfortunately is that every every young adult should be carrying narcan and that's a whole other thing and they don't i carry it sasha carries it her boyfriend carries it that's a lifesaver um why do why do any of us turn to drugs john i don't have that reason i'm not god you know but all i can tell you is is that it's prolific and and maybe later on in this broadcast we, we can talk about the media that you and i touched on and and what it's going to take to reverse a prolific epidemic such as what we're going through and unless we have um certain changes that are made it's just going to continue to get worse and then you want to throw on the layer of covid and the feelings of isolation and the feelings of um, all the things people are going through, um, it just adds to it just adds to a already difficult situation. Yes, Sasha, do you know do you know Robert Lubrand? I do. Oh, anyway, Robert asked a question for Sasha. The question is, do you have the same friends before you decided to enter recovery? Well, so do you have a whole new set of friends now, or do you still hang out with your old friends? So, um, most of my friends that I was either active with or that I knew before I got sober, um, I really just have nothing in common with them at this point. Um, we live different lives. And so the ones that are, are very close to me that I was friends with, like before I was using, yeah, they're still in my life. We'll talk every now and then, but honestly, like I've made this world of friends that I have in my life today that, um, is is my life today you know um like those friendships like the ones that are important they, they're still there but um most of those people like the only thing we had in common was we wanted to you know escape together and um so really my most like 90 95 of my friendships today are all people in recovery that want the same things in life that i do yeah, yeah. Another question was, and I'm, I'm going to answer it for my daughter, but Sasha, when you were growing up in recovery with other recovery families, hanging out with your dad, did you become friend with those other kids in recovery? I don't know. Did I? I was young. Um, you might be able to answer that a little well, better. My, my, my daughter, we did it in, in the program I went to. We had a lot of pool parties, camp outs, cookouts, functions, family functions. So my daughter grew up with a lot of friends in recovery, you know, kids of other recovery families, as well as her school friends. So, you know, in our case, kids here, they grow up together. We don't isolate or insulate our kids from other recovering family or kids. So Yeah, well, my dad was never like, he was anytime, he was never opposed to me kind of being um, exposed to like other children of parents in recovery so uh, i was definitely i definitely was um connected with that with that did, world did y'all ever watch that movie the anonymous people no okay robert you seen it i did anyway did they when the, when they shot that film they they asked my daughter a question they said what was it like growing up in recovery and her her response was you know at the time she was like 18 she responded, I don't think a kid my age should have been to so many funerals by the time she was 18. So, you know, if you grow up in a hardcore recovery family, you're going to, you know, you're going to see the tragedy side, too. But she got to see a lot of good stuff, too. Anybody watching, if you have not seen that documentary, The Anonymous People, you know, Greg Williams, a great director. I want to plug the film. I know I'm in it for a couple minutes, but it's just a great film about recovery, the recovery movement family community connection awesome film everybody ought to watch it so anyways so uh somebody asked where you what, where you want to go sasha i know you mentioned you wanted to go back to school basically become a hope dealer you know get involved with service work and helping people so you want to be a psychology i mean you got a plan for that um right now i i can't i can't say that i have a, a like a set plan um i i so I want to go back to school. I, I've always had a love for psychology even before um, like addiction was ever a part of my life. Growing up with your dad, you got to be a bit of a philosopher, so I can see that. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I do want to go back to school. Um, certain fields of recovery don't require like specific degrees, but more certifications. So there's like different certifications I'd want to maybe hone in on. Um, I don't know. My world is kind of like 
it's almost overwhelming with how many opportunities I have right now that I'm not even exactly sure which direction I fully want to go in, but I know I want to help people. And so starting from there is, uh, well, well here, here's a big hit and, and Robert, you got to be proud of this because a lot of kids her age, they're so selfish, so self-centered. It's all about them. And you got a young daughter who is focused, knows they want a good education. They want to help people and they actually chasing that. So, that's a huge turnaround, I'm guessing, from a few years back. So this is like a miracle situation here. You know, Robert, you got to be very proud of your child, you know. Eh, a little bit, but, you know, what can I say? John, I could, I am so goddamn proud of Sasha right now and how eloquently she's speaking and how honest. I could literally just cut my picture off the screen and let her speak. That's, that's how um, moved I am and how wonderful she's sharing her um, experience and her feelings. I mean, I, I couldn't come close to, to um, creating that verbiage. I'm, I'm learning right now as we're speaking about my daughter. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It really well, is. Well, recovery is very diverse, young and old. So as many young people need to hear about Sasha and her journey, there's a lot of old skeezers out there need to hear about you too, Robert. So you still got a hope shot left in you too for you know, we, we all reach different people at different levels, but I mean, I'm just stunned to be in the mix of this family right here and this dynamic taking place. Cause I bet y'all had some interesting conflicts, you know, growing up and the addiction battles and Sasha, any, any particular incident stand out, you know? Hold on, hold on. I can answer that question. Just all like, right. <laughs> now you're fucking traumatizing her because you know where I'm going with this, Sasha, right? When I, uh, all kidding aside, um, I talked about losing my father when I was 16, may rest in peace. And there were a lot of issues of um, lesser than and abandonment, and I won't go into them. But the way they manifested themselves over time with me was rage, anger and rage. And um, if I felt I wasn't being acknowledged by someone, not being picked for the team, not going on a second date, someone not returning their phone call, um, I would I would go into a rage and unfortunately before I was able to get sober and get that professional help that I needed to identify the connection between the rage and my childhood my beautiful daughter was the recipient of, of that rage and I remember specifically Sasha when we were in Chappaqua in Westchester that I smashed your cell phone against the wall you know and uh, and you know what one of the tragedies of, of substance use disorder, as you know, John, is the people we hurt the most are the people we love the most. You know, it's a, it's a big time family disease and we, we shatter dreams and um, there's a lot of shame and regret that I have with, those, with that behavior. And now I can, all I can do is live a life of sobriety and not repeat that behavior. And it's just so wonderful that I can say what I'm saying in front of my daughter and she could shake his, her head and say, yeah, that is what you did. And that's the beauty of having sober conversations is that we can, you know, it's like we don't co-sign each other's bullshit right now. This is you know, I, got, I, got a, I, run, I run a recovery center and I got 125 beds and sober living. And, you know, I got most of my population is 20 to 30, at least half of them. A day doesn't go by. I want to smash a goddamn cell phone off of one of these kids. So that that rage, I don't think that really goes away. I don't act on it though. So well, that's the thing. So bad is the action part. Sasha, does that ring a bell? The old phone incident. Oh yeah. <laughs> Did he get you a new phone? I don't remember. You no, probably get an iPhone ten out of him now if you ask. No, her ex-wife bought it. She took enough in the divorce, John. So she, I think she's the one that bought it for Sasha. So. I gotcha. So how, how was the divorce situation? Was that everybody was a team player? I was very young, um, which I'm actually pretty grateful for because I've witnessed a couple of my friends go through divorces when they're a little older. And I think it was harder for them because I have some memories of the actual divorce, but really I was very young. No, I mean, growing up, growing up, as you had two parents, I mean, were the parents on the same team, you know, as far as growing up, teaching? Uh, <laughs> same team. My when parents are very, yes. they're very different people, like the you. most polar opposite people you could ever meet in your lifetime. So, <laughs> and I'm like smack in the middle of those two. Um, so yeah, there were difficulties. Um, I mean, but really what it came down to was they both wanted what was best for me. 
and they would do anything for me. I was their, you know, I'm their baby. I'm their only child. And um, it is a weird dynamic because they are complete opposite human beings. Like, well, you managed to survive and navigate. Hey, look, I got a couple serious questions people are asking. One is from Robert. Or no, it's to Robert. Robert, how do you give Sasha space to grow in recovery and allow her to make mistakes? How do you deal with that? She she sets the boundaries with me. She's old enough and has enough sobriety to say don't. And we've just had some serious conversations about her relationship with a boyfriend. And she put me in my place and told me this is what's acceptable to me. Take it or leave it. And so actually at this point, um, being 25 and her having solid footing of two years of sobriety, she'll set the boundaries with me and she won't co-sign my bullshit. And she'll basically say, here's what I need from you. Here's where I need your space to grow. And I respect it. So I want this boyfriend to- thing, I mean, is it like, do you like the guy? Or you don't think it's the right relationship or what? No, I don't like him at all. I think uh, she could do a lot better, honestly, but... I- He's a very, her boyfriend is um is a very well educated. Uh, he's a chemist. Um, he's also in the twelve step absence based program. He's solid. Um, he has my daughter's back. I couldn't ask for anything more as a father to have her significant other understand the that the number one thing in Sasha's day is to not pick up a drink or drug. What else could I ask for? Because it allows me to focus on my life and not go back to that horrific scene where. My daughter was locked in in an apartment. So what more can I ask for, John? So I don't understand the conflict. What was the conflict, though? No, he was joking. He doesn't dislike oh. you. He what? He, he no. doesn't. Jo- John, pay attention, for God's sake. <laughs> What's the matter with you? As it is, I can't understand your accent. No, I, I, the guy is the guy. His name is, uh, I shouldn't, I'm not going to say his name. His first name starts with an M. He is, um in the program of the 12th sub absence. You already said all that. I mean, you don't have to repeat yourself. Does he repeat himself? Do we have a bad internet connection? What's going on? No, we're good, man. We're good. Let's move on. on. Somebody else had a question. Uh, Some uh, Kate asked, said that she grew up in a home with addicts. How can I help in my situation, career or volunteer? So people growing up addiction all around them, what do you suggest to them? What, what could they get involved with to help them or their situation? Either one of you. There are organizations for um, children of, of adult uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. She probably is aware of them, but they're a support group specific because it's a two-way street. And she knows all too well the difficulties of growing up in, in, a, in a home um, which is loud and unpredictable and sometimes violent. Um, the, what she can do if she's not doing it already, and, and I'm, I'm not sure where she lives, but I think it might be Pennsylvania, is there are volunteer organizations. And when you volunteer and you do that service, you gain a knowledge and a compassion of understanding that your parents are sick too. That you might actually have to be the adult in, in, the, in the dynamic because they're not well. And when you have that compassion, it's a lot different than when you come from a place of anger. That's a, that's a really tough, you know, it's, it's tough enough for a parent to have a child that's struggling with substance use disorder or alcohol use disorder. Imagine if you're a child growing up trying to navigate this complicated, stressful world. On top of that, you got your fucking mother and father that are raging alcoholics. So that was a great question. I would say that there's a lot of support out there and, and there's a lot of knowledge to be had because unfortunately they have to play the parent. You know, Sasha, somewhere along the way, you must not have liked to hear what your dad was telling you or suggesting, okay? I'm just guessing that he was trying to help you and tell you stuff that you didn't want nothing to do with. Oh, but yeah. Okay, what happened along the way where you finally started to believe in your dad with his trying to help you message or, you know, any turning points? If I didn't believe him, it was because I didn't believe in myself. You know, it was it was because... It, why, why are you rolling your eyes? No, I... I'm rolling my eyes because I'm blown away at how eloquent you're speaking. You have no idea. I'm just blown away. No, I'm, I'm being honest with you, John. I'm like in tears. Well, let her answer the question, Robert. She, going going to it, man. she asked me a fucking question. Why am I rolling my eyes? Calm down. rolling of the eyes question. I'm rolling of the eyes. I'm like this, like, I can't believe how well you're doing in this interview. It's your first one. 
Her sobriety is coming out in, in spades right now. That's all. Like, okay, okay, Joe, go ahead, Sasha, go ahead. Oh, oh Papa, I get it. Sasha, finish the question, the answer. Well, it's true. Everything I'm saying is just it's it's honesty. I mean, it's true. Like anytime I didn't want to hear what he had to say, you know, I didn't want to hear what anyone had to say. Um, especially if because I I knew that I wasn't doing what I should be doing with my life, so I didn't want to hear it. Um, and when I finally was able to was when I was like, I, I, I couldn't do anything else. There was nothing left, you know? So I really like, once I started to believe that I could get help was when those things that were said to me all along, I was able to hear finally, you know, are you only child? I am. Oh, hell you the oldest and the baby. Oh, you bet. So, so. What do you, I mean, look, everybody knows we addiction is an epidemic. We have an opioid spike and fentanyl makes the opioid spike, spike extra dangerous, but still more people die from alcohol. When you, when you add up those other pharmaceutical drugs and street drugs, just as many people are dying. Then you want to add nicotine and sugar in the mix. I mean, it's off the chain out there. There's a lot of focus on opioid, opiates and fentanyl. And, and, you know, but I think we're losing a generation on the other stuff. Y'all got any thoughts on that? I mean, you must know some people and other stuff dying and not, you know, ruining their lives. I mean, I think a lot of it is, is all the combination, too, of just, like, the harder drugs mixed with the alcohol, mixed with not taking care of yourself and wanting to escape and, like, just not caring you know and like yeah i don't know i don't know what about you robert you're a big advocate of, of parents i mean it just ain't opiate out there what happened john is that you know back in the day when we got sober um the 12-step absence-based programs the peer-to-peer -peer fellowships were the only game in town and when the prolific epidemic the opioid epidemic and and purdue farmer and all of that stuff and you know the the pill mills that popped up all over the country began there was pressure on the medical community to address the opioid epidemic and so you had mad medication assisted treatment you have small recovery you have neuroplasticity other pathways of recovery oh jesus he's doing with the <laughs> so what i'm saying is is that when you talk about the medias when you talk about um the um there's a great comment from a physician that's a friend of mine that's on and he said basically that opioids kill you where you stand that's a, that's really a great way to put yeah, it. Frank, Frank just said that on our comment section. That's what I'm saying. I'm reading the comments. Oh. Frank has to be very educated with um, a medical background, and and he had said that to me once, and that's the case. But to answer your question, alcohol by far blows away all the other you know the drug tragedies, and and not to mention someone's driving drunk and they wrap their car around a pole, and the cause of death is a car accident. No, the cause of death was alcoholism. But the headlines all have to do with, and even the rehabs are switching away from a 12-step abstinence-based model and going to Suboxone and Vivitrol. They're going to Smart Recovery. That's what's in the headlines, John. And because it's in the headlines, we veer away from that focus on, on alcohol use disorder. But absolutely, alcohol is still, unfortunately, the king out there. Right. So, Stasha, Sasha. When you, when you were using drugs, obviously you were getting high or so you thought. So you were chasing, I imagine, to get high. Now you're in recovery and you get a pretty good buzz from recovery, what we call the recovery high. So, you see, I think you're in that magical place where you're chasing the recovery get high and the drug get high ain't never going to be but so good, but the recovery get high can get better and better and better. So you're on the front end of a great journey where your recovery high is going to get better and better and better. You're just not going to be chasing your original recovery high. So does that excite you? Do you believe that to be true? I mean, I've just begun to scratch the surface. And it's it when I think about that, like it blows my mind because I know that, you know, I see people that have more time and I know that I have a lot of opportunity in front of me. And yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that like, 
I keep my addiction in the forefront of my mind because I know I never want to go back there. But at the same time, I it is it, it is like a little high recovery high because there's just so much ahead of me. I'm I'm grateful to be young. I know that that doesn't always happen. Um, but yeah, it's I I like it doesn't always I can't always wrap my head around it because it's a it, it is a lot and it's it's amazing. I mean, I've barely begun to learn about myself. You know, I'm just starting to learn about myself and learn about the paths that are laid before me and everything. And it's it's wonderful. It really is. Now, Robert, here you are watching your daughter flourish and grow in recovery. A lot of parents, you know, they a lot of times their kids get clean and sober and they just they just don't think they can go back. You're you're an advocate. You know, daggone good and well, shit can happen at any time. I'm sure you're worried about that. But what do you tell the parents who kids are doing well? You know, like I feel, I feel like I got a relapse in me. You know, I never forget that. I I got a relapse in me. And I'm trying like hell not to go there, but it got it's got to be worrisome for parents. I would I would think. I mean, thoughts on that? Sure. Um, this is an illness. This is not um, addiction. Is not a moral failing. It's an illness, and like any other type of illness, you treat it. And the medication, it could be Suboxone or Vivitrol, but, but in our case, it's a 12-step abstinence-based program, and you, and you need to use that treatment program. You need to use those tools. Like anything else, you know, if you're suffering from a, a kidney failure and you need kidney dialysis, if you don't do the dialysis, what's going to happen? It's really the same concept here, is that you have to be committed to your recovery. You have to use those tools that have been given to you, and, and it's a life and death matter, and you take it like it's life and death. Um, what I say to families, it's interesting you mentioned that, is it's the same message that I'm carrying to families about having that conversation, John, which is that the more families understand this illness, the more research that they do, the more they understand, like the legislation I'm supporting now, Senator Gillibrand's Family Support Services Act, the more knowledge they have, the more they will understand and they can have these conversations, these intellectual, these intellectual, these intelligent conversations with their kids and they can say, you know, I noticed you're not going to your meetings. You're a little irritable. Is everything okay? Are you tired? Or you know, did you know there's this? It's it's you're meeting you're meeting the the individual where they're at. You know, you're not meeting them in the wreckage of their future. You're meeting where they are at right now, and that's why part of of the legislation I advocate for are is those systems navigations, those tools, those support groups that are available to parents. So that they can have that knowledge and they can be plugged into their child's recovery. Sasha, does uh, your dad ever try to work your program for you? He's been he's pretty good about not. He's he's gotten a lot better. Um, you know, I know that he wants the best for me, and so as long as I like keep that in my mind, I know that any suggestions he gives me are just out of love. But yes, you know, sometimes it's not perfect, <laughs> but he's, he's gotten a lot better. Like you said, boundaries, you know, I've been able to set better boundaries. Um, I wanted to say something also about um, in terms of like, you know, being in that recovery high, but like, I think that's why it's so important to keep, you know, my addiction in the forefront of my mind, because like, then I never lose where I came from. Because like complacency happens, like I, I see it all the time. People get complacent, um, they forget where they came from, and then that's when, what takes them back out. And like, it is important to like be vigilant and to that is why it's like a daily treatment of like my dad said of 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 an illness. It's a daily treatment every day because it, it, like any illness, like it can be stagnant if it's not taken care of. And so I think that was really important. Um, but yeah, I also yeah, I guess I mean I've set boundaries and my dad has learned through my sobriety how to like navigate my sobriety and my life and like it's all going to be a continuous learning process. I don't expect him to ever be perfect at it, but you know, he has gotten better over time. So you know, I'll, give, I'll give you a little hit. You know, like I, I'm assuming you got a sponsor and you work steps, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Now, my dad, he, he's, he's in recovery, too, although he's almost 90. He, he doesn't get around much. We hardly ever talk. But we, we had a good 25-year good run. And I noticed my dad was the only person that would ever share information with me. And he never expected anything in return. And he only wanted to make sure he gave me the best information I could get. 
whether I liked it or not. And sometimes my, he gave me better information than my sponsor. And I, you know, I've, I've had the same sponsor 35 years now. So there's just something about a parent's wisdom in recovery that ain't trying to manipulate you, but just wants to give it to you real. Yeah. So it sounds like y'all got the door open, though, that I, I don't see a lot of problem with that. But I can see where Robert might go a little over the top sometimes. But never. You know, By the I way, John, I, don't blame him. I want to clarify, you brought up sponsor. Um, some of the viewing audience may not know what a sponsor is. So in a 12-step fellowship program, a sponsor is a mentor, someone that has had more experience in that program that guides that new person through. And I thought I thought I would just throw that out there. You know, Sasha sponsor. You know, I've never met Sasha Sasha sponsor. I don't uh, know if he wants me to meet Sasha sponsor. That's kept secret. Hell, it might be a guy then. You don't even know. I mean. Maybe it's better that way. <laughs> I don't want to intimidate or sponsor. You know what I mean? I mean, because I I can't come. Off, I'm a loudmouth from Brooklyn. I can't come off that way sometimes. So, you know, I, I, got like I switched sponsors not that long ago because my previous sponsor we discovered we were better off as close friends and so my newer sponsor hasn't really met a lot of my family yet so i got you well it'll probably happen if you keep her or him oh yeah i definitely think it will keep them for a while you know somebody triggered a thought process and some of the question in here you notice like every single day in the newspaper you read about covid19 you read about black lives matter you read about the republicans and the democrats and the president uh -huh. And, and, and you read a lot about the negativity, uh, the consequences of addiction. But I think as a nation, we need to have daily media on the good and the positive about recovery from addiction. Y'all got thoughts on the way the media plays out with messaging as far as recovery goes? Oh, I got a lot of thoughts on that one, John. I got a lot of thoughts on that one. What I've learned in the short 10 months of um, being an advocate and working in Washington with legislatures is if you're, gonna, if you're going to reverse a prolific epidemic, an opioid, fentanyl, heroin epidemic, you need two things. You, know, need some, no, you need nothing short of a social movement, John. There are probably a thousand organizations around the country, such as the McShin Foundation, doing phenomenal work. It's too goddamn confusing. You think the legislature in Ohio knows who McShin is? You think someone out in, you know, knows who Big Vision is or who knows, you know, all this, these different wonderful organizations? You need to have a broad-based coalition. And then the biggest piece is that you need to have the media on a consistent basis portraying substance use disorder in a positive light. Frequency, frequency, frequency. Now, there's an organization called EIC, the Entertainment Industry Council. They've done a phenomenal job with the major studios in Hollywood portraying substance use disorder and alcohol use disorder very accurately. They've done a phenomenal job. They've come light years, but you've got to have the frequency. Now, look, that's easy for us to say, right? We're in recovery. They have to put bread on their, uh, on their table and they have to be worried about their ratings. And I, and I, and I network with a lot of these top level C-suite individuals, John, to get that message out to them and they say to me, well, we've done this, we've done this. And I look back at them and I say, yes, but it's a prolific fucking epidemic. Do you understand that 60,000 overdoses a year, this blows COVID out of the water. This has been going on for decades. There's no comparison. You know, they're, they're dropping like flies out there. What's a sober community? Sasha lives in a sober community. They, these young adults, there's probably 200 of them in the town she lives in. They go to their 12-step meetings together. They work for merchants. They They... Of texting all day. I wish I had that kind of support when I was getting sober. Okay, who the hell knows about what a sober community is? Does anyone know in half the country? Why is that missing link important, John? Because when someone like Sasha goes to detox and rehab in a sober living home, then what, what from there? If the parents don't know that, that there's a possibility that their child could stay in, sober, in a sober community, as opposed to coming home to where the drug dealing boyfriend is or going to college where there's a lot of partying, that gives those parents a tremendous amount of hope. That, so, that individual, that young adult, can live a sober life in a, in a supportive community. The, know, media, like, like the media is the key, John. The media is the right. link. When I did that press release for Senator Gillibrand, okay, on the Family Support Services for Addiction Act, and, and the News 12 was there, and Newsday, and all of these outlets, but Fox 5 News was there, Fox 5, okay, and they didn't even put the press conference in their 5, 6, or 11 o'clock uh, news broadcast. What does that tell you? This was bipartisan, co you know, uh, legislation from a, from a high-profile senator 
dealing with addiction, and they didn't even bother to put in their broadcast. What does that tell you about stigma, John? So oh, I'm with you on that no page. There's no money in recovery. That's what it tells me. If, if there was money in it, they'd be pimping it out hard. You know, Richmond, Virginia, we have, we're not a big, really big city. We might be a million two or so, but we got over a thousand sober beds in this community. And we must have 400 NA and AA meetings. So Richmond is also a, a recovery hub on the East Coast. But Sasha, you're in a sober community up in Connecticut. Did you go there for the sober community or did you already live there? No, I, um, I went to a sober house in this area and then I stayed. No, because the, there's so much connection to recovery in that community. Yeah, so I stayed and had my network here. So. Now, do you think that made a difference in your life? In oh, your recovery? completely, completely. Yeah. See, that's what I'm trying to tell the, the country, and Robert's trying to tell the country. We need recovering community, the connection to community. Every metropolis should have a, a recovering community that gets legitimate, real connection. And it doesn't have to be expensive either. I mean... Hell, most of you guys are doing it, doing doing life in recovery. So that's where the money's at. We save the taxpayers fifty percent of the tax dollars that are going to an improperly mitigated illness and epidemic, the addiction epidemic. The taxpayers don't understand that. You know, all they hear and see is what their politician is pimping to them. But the truth is, we are spending twice the money on on improperly mitigated addiction. Oh, if we get this stuff right, man, we all save a lot of money. So there is money in recovery. So, so Sasha, you got a lot of fans on here, and I guess you do too, Robert. You know, I see a lot of names here. I only know a few of them, so these must be your people up here. Anything you want to say? I don't well, know. I got groupies. I don't know what to tell you. I got fans that follow me. It looks like the Grateful Dead, John. They're just they're all over me. I don't know what to tell you. Well, I love them, Sasha's friends. Trust me. I have like maybe two. They're Sasha's friends. I, I don't know who anyone on here is. Oh, uh, well, that must be your daddy then. Sasha, what do you like to do for fun? You know, I know recovery's fun, but you like music, you like skiing, you like fishing. What do you like? Um, so I, yeah, I love music. I love being outdoors. Um, I love like, so where I am is pretty rural. So there's like a lot of lakes and a lot of places to be outdoors and run around and I love it. And, um, I also love writing. That's like my main. Uh, Are you still doing artwork? That was a pretty nice art, you know, piece of art Robert got above his head. You mean my, when I was eight years old, John? I mean... So what do you like to write about? I mean, you know, we I tell you one thing we need you to write about is you gotta write a lot of editorials to your newspapers, national papers, magazine, national blog, write about your recovery experience, what works and what didn't work. We need a lot of people doing a lot of writing in that area. Yeah, I, sh- I was thinking about doing doing some I really haven't done anything. I love to write poetry, but I also would like to write about it, my experience as well. And I would anything that could help help a community if it's in a paper or something that would be cool too well every time you see an article that looks like it ain't right just go online shoot them an editorial say look man you got this all wrong we don't need to lock these addicts up we need to provide them with recovery support services therefore half of them don't have to go to jail stuff like that you know look around you i mean you cannot be satisfied with everything around you as far as policies and laws and whatnot yeah yeah no that that is a good idea those app ads are very powerful john i will tell you they get a lot of attention and um they're red it's called op ed sasha those are the opinion opinion put in articles written um by thought leaders that are put into the opinion sections of newspapers like the new york times and they're red they're red they get exposure yeah, so Sasha, you're the youngest man here on the show. If you could change one or two drug laws, what laws would you change? Um, well, it would probably be people getting incarcerated. I'd rather see more of um, treatment than just straight incarceration. Um, but So are you familiar with Portugal and their drug model? Um, I'm just beginning to learn about it. All right, look, you, you strike me as a young lady that knows how to navigate YouTube. All you got to do is Google YouTube, Portugal drug, mo- drug model, 
there's probably a dozen decent 10 minute videos you watch those videos and you'll see in portugal when they run across addicts they engage them they offer them help by peers in recovery and medical people they even have a lawyer at their engagement committee meeting to let them know don't worry you're not going to get arrested we really want to help you but as a result of that is a little hit here portugal's the size of michigan Michigan has like 20-something hundred overdose deaths a year. Portugal has less than 50 deaths a year. So they reduce the death rate, the opioid death rate, by 95%. Their criminal justice budget went down 50%, and they reinvested those dollars in recovery. So there's a lot to learn. I think that's a big deal moving forward. Yeah, that's huge. It's amazing. You're, you're a soldier, you're a warrior in the making, you know, get, get, you're, you're in COVID-19, you know, restriction, spend that time getting educated and, and you'll emerge being a leader in the nation on, on these topics. Robert, if you could change a couple drug laws, what would you do? Well, I was just, you know, when you were um, off camera, I don't know what that was. I know you mentioned the model there, I heard that. Yeah, I did mention the model and, and so that ties into, are you vaping too, John? No, uh, straight up dip, man. That's my spitter. <laughs> I wouldn't vape if I had to. Okay. Well, I'm just checking. I love you. I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> with the, the Portugal model, okay, so what's at the essence of the Portugal model? I love that you broke, it, broke that up. Um, it's humanism. It's separating the illness from the individual, right? It's understanding that that person is not a bad person. They're a sick person, and they really are suffering. And when you come from that approach, which is what, again, Sasha and I are trying to bring out that message is come from a place of compassion, come of, of a place from, of, from support, of support with boundaries. Don't let them, let me be clear about that. I'm not saying you should invite your kid, they relapse, you know, they come back home and snort heroin in the living room and watch Netflix. Every family's journey is unto themselves. What I am saying is when you have that initial uh, conversation, emulate the Portugal model, come from a place of humanism, from support, from understanding that your child or your parent, as, as the other individual said, are suffering. And when you do that, like they did in Portugal, um, you, you're not contributing to that individual suffering. You're, you're supporting them. You know, you're, you're kind of making them think, you know, yeah, my, my brain might be, feel like it's broken, but I do have parents that love me. Maybe I can have that conversation with them. And again, it goes both ways. Decriminalization, like Sasha just touched on, would be the number one law, absolutely, that I would stop punishing and, and start and start treating. You know, Oregon, don't quote me exactly, you know, because I, I just repeat what I read and what I hear, and I get my information from the media, so maybe it's right, maybe it ain't. But Oregon, when they, when they legalized marijuana, they were going to use their tax dollars, like, okay, the first 50 million tax dollars we're going to use for, like, education. Anything after that we use for treatment. Well, apparently they had like $150 million worth of tax revenue from legalizing marijuana. So it's like they're scrambling on how to spend that $100 million on treatment and recovery. And I consider that a really good problem to have. So I personally think marijuana should be treated like alcohol. You know, we got the alcohol model. Marijuana is less dangerous than alcohol. But those extra tax dollars can be used for health care, addiction services, recovery services, Y'all got thoughts on that? Sash? <laughs> I didn't even understand what the hell you were saying. Did you, did you understand? You got, because you're talking fast. And I, you know, well, Southern, I'm a loudmouth Jew from Brooklyn. It's very hot. Could you repeat the question? Basically, marijuana. Yes, I think, sir. I think marijuana should be treated like alcohol, taxed like alcohol. The, the tax dollars go for recovery and treatment. There's no reason why we're locking people up for smoking weed or, or that being illegal. That's my thoughts. And I, and I don't smoke it anyway. So if they legalize it today in Virginia, it ain't like I'd run down to the weed store and buy the stuff. But I know it, it's the, the laws do more damage than the product does. So I'm just asking your opinion and thoughts on that. Sasha, you can go first. Obviously, you must know a little bit about weed. Well, I definitely agree with you on you know, if, if it's, so I'm, I'm pretty close to Massachusetts where it's just pretty recently been legalized. Pretty normal. Uh, what? I said that you, so you normalized already with, 
with me. Yeah, I mean, so it is, it's a little weird. I'm not used to it yet because growing up it was always illegal. But, um, you know, I think that I do agree whether like, whether it's legalized or not, like it's going, it's going to happen. I can't, I can't stop that. But I think that I, I like the idea of the month, the revenue or the taxes from that going towards treatment the way, or the, or being taxed like alcohol. I think that's what you said. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't know uh, enough about the situation to like form a, like a correct opinion. So I don't well, want to do say think they should arrest people and put them in jail for smoking pot. No, no, I think they should do the same thing. That's that's good by me, you know. Robert, you got any thoughts? You've been around a while. Well, actually, if you could do me a favor, uh, Steve Rabinowitz um, was with Oasis, which is the governing organization in New York State, for 20 years. And he just made a very good point. If you can see it in the comments, yeah, it's right up there, talking about legalizing marijuana. So I don't know if you want to read that. Um, but it's well, Colorado, they used a portion of the legal marijuana tax dollars to expand MAT for folks with opioid use disorders. That he did consult on this a few years ago, and he and and so that's I think all across America, when you, when you create a new funding stream, a tax stream, if it's addiction related, I think if they put the funds into recovery, treatment, healthcare, we're way better off. Let me talk about recovery support services for a minute. These services delivered by peers, people in lived recovery. You know, Sasha, did you have any engagement with people in recovery during the last couple of years? What do you mean? Uh, like peer professional, people who were in the treatment industry that were also in recovery. Obviously, you live in a sober living, so they must have had some peers running that. I yeah, mean, the uh, treatment center that I went to, everybody was everybody that works there is in recovery, and when I, and then in sober living as well, like my house manager was also in recovery. I've pretty much been surrounded by people in recovery since I got sober. Do you think that was helpful? Oh yeah, that was definitely huge for me because I saw that on a professional level, where like they were a figure of authority that I could look up to, but also somebody that I could identify with, and it helped a lot. See, because I, I happen to know, we, we actually do evidence-based practices here at McShane. We actually collect data. And our data, and we're all peer, we're 100% peer-run organization. And our, and our data, we got 50% of our people two years later are still in recovery. Now, they might have relapsed and changed their sobriety date, but they're still chasing their recovery. And I just think that's a big hit. You know, I think we are undervalued, underfunded, and undertaken seriously. And I think it's because there's just no money in recovery to the provider, so to speak. So I just think it's a big deal. Like Robert, you're a big family advocate. I think it's important to have a family member with experience to be the advocate. You're very effective at it, you know? That lived experience, there's no substitute for lived experience. And I think we get a lot of mileage out of the, the results, you know? so. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of the peer support service provider. We, um, they say the power is in the personal story, John. And um, that's why Sasha and I are here is to, is to talk about the good and the bad and how the story can turn, turn out good. You know, we try to empower parents with, with a sense of hope and to also educate them about the legislation that's out there to let them know that, for example, one of the co-sponsors of the Gillibrand bill is David Trone. And, um, David lost his nephew to an overdose and his daughter is in recovery. When you find those individuals that have that connection, whether they've lost loved ones or they're close, those are the people that will respond to these issues that we're talking about. The other people that don't get it, that have never been touched by substance use disorder, it's like you're talking pornography to them. They just don't get it and they don't want to talk about it. And those are the people that you, re- that you need to reach. But, you know, the, so when you educate families out there and you let them know, hey, there's all this legislation going on. It is being addressed in Washington. Hey, there's the McShin Foundation. There's Look Up to Ada, which is a healing organization for parents that have lost their loved ones. There's Big Vision. There's this, there's this. I could go on and on and on. There's the big, you know, the um, beautiful boy fund. If you go on and on with that and they let them know, what does that do? That sparks conversations. It gives the families hope and they're meeting each other where they are right now. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Make perfect sense. I'm sitting there thinking, you two apparently got some time on your hand. 
I think you ought to make a road trip and come on down to McKen Foundation. Let us show you around for a day or two. Sasha, we, you're going to interact with the ladies we got down here in the ladies program. And I think you'll be even inspired more to pursue a career in being a hope dealer for the new folks that are going to come because you're going to be a great hope dealer one day. And Robert, I think you'll get a, a little boost in, in family connection value too because we're all about family down here too, you know. So the family gets just as sick as the addict. I don't know who got sick first, the family member or the addict, but the recovery process is critical for everybody. So we're, we're winding down here. We've been here a little over an hour. I know we had some technical difficulties, but normally we go about an hour and a little bit over. But is there any, any thoughts about this podcast? Sasha, do you think it was healing, therapeutic? Did you like it? What are your thoughts? I really liked it. I think it's it's so helpful to talk about these things. I think that's that's where it all begins is talking about it. Um, then you can go from there and that's where the change happens. So I, I really liked this. I think it was cool. And I loved reading the comments too as we went along. So that, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we, we got a comment from Debbie Rosenbaum. She's one of our board members. She said, Sasha, my son followed the same path you are on, living in a recovery community. He just celebrated eight years in recovery and is living a life beyond his expectations. So there's a little hit from Debbie. And, and De De Debbie's been isolated through this COVID thing. She, you know, a lot of people, they just hunker down in place. They don't come out and I don't blame them. So we miss Debbie, but she's a great family member. Robert, you got any thoughts about how this little podcast went? I missed you when you went out to Burger King, wherever the hell you went. I don't know. But other than that, um, Todd, Todd picked it up pretty good. Um, am I allowed to speak about your wonderful wife or would you prefer I not do that? Absolutely. You can talk away about her. Okay. So, Sasha, um, Carol McDade is John's wife and she is very involved in Washington in recovery. She's also uh, works with John at the McShin Foundation and um, she's the individual that suggested we and I didn't tell you this, that we appear here. Um, and your wife is incredible, John, and she's one of these few individuals in my short months and my advocacy that has really spent this enormous amount of time on the phone with me without asking for anything back and educated me on recovery on Washington. And, and you know, you need those mentors, whether you're in recovery or whether you're in advocacy to help you. So you're, you're a very lucky man. She's a very special person. Um, I hope that that means I can stay at the Four Seasons when I come visit you. Is that possible, or absolutely? Also, we do a we do an annual holiday party. It's usually the the Saturday night before Christmas. You're all invited. It's, a, it's an open house. You know, we usually get about 400 people down there, so we get a lot of folks from the north come down. So, by all means, feel free to come down for that event as well. But you let, know, me, let me answer your question, John. This has been wonderful because you know piecing together what we've been discussing about the media and about getting and stimulating conversations so if you look at all of these comments that we're getting right now melissa is saying can we follow sasha and robert that's a perfect example it is stimulating thoughts and conversations that might not have otherwise been happening and this saves lives so being you allowing us to be on here and deliver this message is a lifesaver it really really is and that's that's so to answer your question um you're doing god's work right now is, is really what it comes down to john you keep god in the mix you can't go wrong but what's the name of that organization you work for robert well there's a number of oh there's a number of different ones that i volunteer for which one specifically there's an organization called big vision which is a sober community similar to where sasha is in New York City. No, I, think, I think he's talking about where someone can follow you. So your yeah. company. Say that again. I'm computer illiterate. Say that so again. Where, where can they follow you? So like your company. My company, uh, probably on LinkedIn is the best place in terms of seeing. I update it with, you know, what's happening in Washington. And um, I've started volunteering for the Coalition on Behavioral Health and the Center on Addiction Change Your Name. Um, and there's there's many others that that there's so many out there that's what i was saying john there's so many to volunteer for and, and there's so much great work to be done well well uh, uh todd be sure and put robert's linkedin contact in here somewhere put so in my email 
Todd, put in my email address. I'm not shy. Anyone wants to reach out to me, I want to connect them with the right support. Uh, I will put put Robert's email up. So if anybody wants to follow Robert and Sasha, they got to go through Dad to get to Sasha. So oh, yeah, I'm follow Robert. You got Sasha. Hey, look, man, this, this is a, a fabulous podcast. You know, we do all of our podcasts. We, we give them to a uh, company that has tablets and and hundreds of jails across america so we have a recovery content we like to send in the jails and prisons so these guys got options so these podcasts do end up people with the dig incorrect and get to watch this stuff so i know it'll be really helpful for folks so you know we're about the end of our hour uh one last shout out for adam miller and his Miller's lawn care service be sure and if you're local use adam you won't be disappointed um Closing thoughts. We're going to close it out. Sasa, closing thoughts. It's just, it's possible. Anyone can get sober. Yes, it is. Wonderful. Robert, closing thoughts. Um, Just, uh, I'm so proud of Sasha and how she's expressed herself. I'm so proud of her growth and her sobriety. I mean, I'm, I'm walking on a pink cloud right now. Thank you and Carol McDade for the opportunity to appear and to deliver our message and like Sasha just said, sobriety is attainable. The tools are out there. You know, just believe in yourself and go go get the help. It's there. And like yeah. I said, people are welcome to email me, um, and I'll find the organizations for them, a way to direct them. But bottom line is, thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's God bless you. God yeah, bless. Thank you so much. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today and hanging with us. You know, a lot of internet problems all across the world. Everybody using the internet at the same time. Uh, tomorrow, I got a great two o'clock show with Robert Legg. He's just a, a wealth of information on on laws and things we should and shouldn't do. He's got some great thought processes. Thursday, I got a great show with uh, Andrea Wright and uh, Paul Thompson. We're going to talk more about the Portugal and the USA flip. What needs to happen in America? We appreciate everybody tuning in. God bless y'all. Till next time, more would be revealed. Thank you all.